Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in the general trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their, riches of their liber liberty. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that he had begun. So he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and in knowledge and all in diligence and in love to us, see that ye abound in the grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that yet that ye through his poverty might be rich. You may be seated. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The last time that I preached here at the assembly at Weavertown, it was on the subject of the godly grace of giving, and I tried to cover the first eight verses in 2 Corinthians 8, which is one of the cornerstones of the Bible that really talk a lot about, about giving, about generosity. And I'm just guessing that you might not be remembering an awful lot about that anymore. So how about if we do a little bit of review? Just a little bit here, you know. The Macedonian churches were really poor, and in spite of that great trial of affliction and deep poverty that the Bible talks about, uh, which John read, these churches found grace to give money to other of God's people that needed it badly, in this case, the church at Jerusalem, the mother church. And we could say that just a little bit differently. We could say that the Macedonian churches, in spite of their great trial and their deep poverty, found grace to give lots of money to those in need of the mother church at Jerusalem. So we talked about that just a little bit. And from there, then, we noticed some timeless Bible principles having to do with grace giving that are outlined here in the text of 2 Corinthians 8. And we noticed 12 
themes, 12 things that when given that way, it's really grace-giving. It's real godly grace-giving. There can be other motivations for giving, you know, uh, like um, because we should or because others do it or uh, to get, get a tax break or to gain influence. But for godly grace-giving, we notice 12 and I won't mention all 12 if it's all right, but here's a couple just for review that especially I think maybe stood out to me. Verse 2 talks about how that they did it with an abundance of joy. One way that we can tell if we are really giving in God's grace way is if we give to the offering or if we give in other ways, if we do it with joy. Another one that we talked about that's mentioned in verse 4 is when it's a great privilege to be allowed to participate, which the Bible makes real clear there that that's what they did. I'm just guessing that Paul, at first, when he was getting this offering ready, or that he would have thought, well, the churches of Macedonia, they're so poor, and they're so persecuted that they couldn't possibly have anything to give. But they said, oh, yeah, 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 we want to give. We want the privilege of being allowed to participate too. Verse 7 speaks about how that grace-giving is really grace-giving when it synchronizes with other virtues. See it there? And so on. Well, enough of that, enough of thinking about um, 2 Corinthians Eight, the first eight verses, except to say that the primary point that I was trying to make then, back there in November, was that, just after Thanksgiving, you know, was that gratitude, if we're really grateful, if we're really thankful to God for his many blessings to us, if we're really, really grateful, then it will come out in generosity. Gratitude equals generosity. That was the case with the Macedonian churches way back then in the first century. And it's, that truth carries through down to our day here in the 21st century, 2,000 years after the, the Macedonian churches were written about here in 2 Corinthians. And I forgot some of what I said too, but just last week, oh, it was time for year-end giving, you know, and checking to see about all the, at year-end. And as I was working on that, well, I remembered some of the things that I had said. Today, we'd like to delve just a little bit further into 2 Corinthians 8, still on the, principle, uh, on the theme of giving generosity, and hopefully we, yeah, especially we'd like to be looking at verse 9. Last time we tried to cover eight verses, today we'll try to think about just one verse. Verse 9, do you see it there? John read that, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 
there's, and I liked what John MacArthur said about that verse, and I just quote him here, tucked away in this very practical, pragmatic section of the discussion of giving is a profound doctrinal treasure. This verse is a Christological gem of incalculable value, a many-faceted diamond that far outshines all the other jewels around it. The wonder of this verse is captivating. Its vast scope and impact transcend the simplicity of the 21 Greek words that comprise it. Its truth is not couched in technical theological language. Its words are not complex or confusing. And though its message may be grasped in one reading, the truth it contains may not be fully comprehended through eternity. That's what John MacArthur says about first about Second Corinthians eight, verse nine. And you will notice as you look at it again that there are four phrases in this verse. Do you see how it's kind of yeah, four phrases. And I've chosen to talk especially today about one word in each of those four phrases. And so the title that I've chosen for this sermon is Grace, Rich, Poor, Rich. Grace, Rich, Poor, Rich. Four phrases, four words. And the first word, yes, it's grace. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's, I've heard over the years different definitions of what grace really means. And there's a couple that I have stood out to me and that I have been helpful and that I have appreciated and still do. And one of those is that simple one that you've heard too, that grace is receiving that which you, we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving the things that we do deserve. And that's certainly part of grace. I appreciate that. I thank God for his grace. Then there's the acrostic, God's grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that too. And definitions like that kind of uh, partially capture the meaning of words like grace. And just in studying for this sermon, um, I noticed what Ray Steadman has said. And he has added uh, to my understanding and my appreciation of, of grace. It, what he says helps me appreciate Christ a little bit more and grace just a little bit more. Here's what he says about grace. This word belongs to a very large family. It has a brother named Charity and a sister named Mercy and a whole houseful of cousins such as kindness and favor and goodwill and pity, thanksgiving and reward. All of these are translations of the word grace as it is used in our scriptures. But the basic meaning of this little word is beauty, charm, loveliness. We see this in the English word graceful, by which we mean beauty of line or movement. And from this basic meaning, 
beauty, the word came early to mean also act of beauty. Kindness and mercy, for instance, are the most beautiful acts possible to human beings. Now Paul seizes this word and writing to his friends at Corinth, he says, you are familiar with the beauty of Jesus Christ. You know that the compelling beauty that drew you to him is nothing else than his self-giving love. And then a little later on he will say, Mr. Stedman will say, there is no beauty like giving. There is no charm more attractive than a generous heart. Now, we didn't read that exactly in the Bible, but I like what he says. Generosity, giving. There is no beauty like giving. And that could make us think about Ananias and Sapphira, couldn't it? You know about Ananias and Sapphira there in Acts 5. We had that in our Sunday school lesson not too long ago. Ananias and Sapphira and their sin, well, that was the very first sin to burrow its way into the Christian church, into the church after it was founded there on Pentecost. The very first sin. What, and Ananias and Sapphira's lack of godly fear was, expressed, uh, was especially expressed in their lives in that they wanted to be known as being generous without actually being real generous. Or we could maybe say it that they wanted to be known as generous when actually they were only semi-generous. And in so doing, they were attempting to imitate the beauty of generosity. I'm kind of hoping that you see that, how that, that was an imitation of the real thing. They were trying to imitate the beauty of generosity and God showed real plainly there, did he not, what he thought of things like that, of imitation of grace. Our imitation of the beauty of generosity, he showed that in very clearly that in his eyes that is very ugly. Grace. Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think now secondly about the, the second phrase and the word that I picked out there especially to think about is rich. That though he was rich. Rich. Did you know that Jesus, being God, is, was very rich in this world possessions? In Exodus 19.5, God says, and declares that all the world is mine. Jesus, as God, all the world is his. God was, Jesus was rich in this world possessions. And then there's a number of other verses sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, especially throughout the Old Testament, that we want to look at just a little bit. And I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 10.14, 
And then moving on rather quickly, but you're welcome to turn to these verses. Deuteronomy 10.14, thinking about how that Jesus, as God, was rich. Deuteronomy 10.14, and this again is God speaking. He says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. I guess maybe this was Moses speaking. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. And then moving quickly to Job 41.11. Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine, God says. And as I looked at a number of these verses, um, it just impressed me again about our great God and the wonder it is of us serving such a rich, powerful God. You know what Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And that verse is quoted by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10. Psalm 50, verse 12, where God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. There's a a verse that talks about how that the cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's. And that makes us think, made me think, and maybe you too, about that song that was written by John Peterson. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills, the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches, more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so they're mine as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. So Jesus is rich. Jesus, as God's son, as God, part of the Godhead, was, was rich, just like 2 Corinthians 8, 9 declares. You, you might also be thinking, I'm kind of hoping that you are, that though he was rich in these earthly things, that that's really maybe not quite what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is really talking about when it says that though he was rich. But the riches that Jesus possessed were mostly other kinds of riches, I think I'm right to say. Like the riches that God, that Jesus had up there in glory, up there in heaven before his incarnation. The riches of heaven, uh, the riches of his glory, the riches of his Jesus being eternal. John MacArthur makes what I think is an arresting point when he declares that Jesus' eternal, spiritual, heavenly riches stem from the fact that he is eternal. He is everlasting. He always was and always will be. 
his, the fact that Jesus is eternal and we're not far past Christmas, you know, and there's a couple prophecies of Jesus coming in the Old Testament that speak especially of his being eternal, like Micah 5.2, remember? And thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be least among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And then there's that Isaiah 9.6. We had that in Sunday school just a couple weeks ago. One of the things that he shall be called the everlasting father, remember? Um, or maybe more correctly rendered the father of eternity. Jesus was rich because he is eternal. Jesus, rich, rich, rich in heavenly ways, in heavenly avenues. Jesus was rich in everything that counted from eternity past and will yet be through eternity future. But that's not the end of the story. Uh, the third phrase in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, phrase one, that through, though he was rich, phase two, yet for your sakes he became poor. Yet for your sakes he became poor. The word is poor that we'd especially like to look at and dwell on just a little bit. And Jesus was poor in his birth and in his most of his 33 years on earth, right? He was born in a stable, placed in a manger, didn't have anywhere to lay his head a lot of the time. He, we, we understand that he was poor. There were some exceptions, of course. Um, there was the gifts that the wise men brought. Good chance that those gifts um, helped Joseph and Mary get to Egypt and get established there and then come back again. So there was that. And Luke 8, verses 1 through 3, talk about some ladies that helped him with their substance. Apparently rich ladies that supported Jesus in his ministry. You might want to just look at that. Luke 8, 1 through 3. So Jesus was poor. But none of that held a candle to another level of impoverishment that Jesus experienced. And you know what's coming, right? None of that held a candle to the poorness that Jesus experienced when he left the pearly, um, the ivory palaces to descend all the way down to this world of woe. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang of thy birth and thy royal decree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth and in greatest humility. That carol speaks of those two parts of Jesus becoming poor, both his birth in Bethlehem, but 
even more than that, especially of his coming down, leaving heaven and its arches to come down to the impoverishment of this sin-cursed world. And I would submit that neither of those two impoverishments held a candle to Gethsemane and Calvary. It was there in Gethsemane and Calvary. It was then and there that Jesus totally emptied himself and reached the epitome of the word poor. In fact, the word poor hardly seems to do justice to Jesus emptying himself there and dying the death, even the death of the cross. He gave it all. He became so poor that he gave it all. And praise the Lord, in that process of becoming poor, he paid it all. Thank God. Jesus gave it all. Jesus paid it all for you and for me. And it seems like at this point, thinking of, along those lines, we should just look um, once again and I will read again Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Very familiar verses that you've heard many times, even within the last half hour or so. But listen again. And hopefully appreciate all over again the fact that Jesus gave it all. He emptied himself. He became poor to the most possible poor degree. Let this mind, oh yeah, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became poor. We've talked now about his grace the grace of God in doing that. We've talked about how that he was rich and how that he became poor. And that phrase says, that third phrase says that it's for your sakes, for our sakes, for my sake, he became poor. Thank God for that. David Schrock says this, about Jesus becoming poor. The king of glory, and I like some of the, the 
turn of words that he uses here. Uh, listen, if you will. The king of glory volunteered himself to be dethroned. The Lord of all creation subjected himself to the world he made. Indeed, he who needs nothing and gives to everyone everything became impoverished. He expended everything in order to claim for himself a people who would in turn reflect his glory, in part now and one day in whole. This is why Jesus impoverished himself, so that we who trust in him might know him as our greatest treasure. So that we who trust in him might know him as our greatest treasure. And that leads right into the fourth phrase and the fourth word, which again is that last word, of course, in the verse, rich. That ye through his poverty might be rich. So if you're a child of God here today, you are rich, right? If you're a child of God here today, you are rich. Not necessarily in earthly possessions, not necessarily in earthly possessions, not necessarily in your life experiences, but I think that many of us here need to acknowledge that we're rich in those ways too. And that really, we, well, if we live in North America, we're rich. If we live in Pennsylvania, we're rich. If we live in Lancaster County, we're rich. And we could also say that the everything that we've experienced in life has been so easy so far. Now, not all of us can say that, but many of us can. But we're rich, God's children. That's you, if you're a child of God, are rich. We're rich in everything that matters. Like, we have the Bible so freely. We, in no particular order, this just some things that I thought of and just kind of wrote them down. We have the Bible so freely. Um, we have forgiveness of sins. Salvation, hope, heaven, redemption. And redemption means, has a twofold meaning, you know. It's uh, that of being brought back and being bought back. That twofold meaning. Thank God for his redemption, for his salvation, for his forgiveness. We have a godly heritage, many of us do. We have peace. We have joy. God's children can experience and have, in 2020 even, experienced joy and peace, even in 2020. Isn't that something? Thank God for his joy and peace in spite of circumstances around the world. And there's plenty of joy and peace yet for 2021. We are so rich. We are rich because God because Jesus became poor. The treasures of earth are not mine. Well, maybe that's not quite true. But the treasures of earth are not mine. I hold not its silver or gold, but a treasure far greater is mine. I have riches of value untold. The treasures of earth must all fail. 
its riches and honor decay. But the riches of love that are mine, even death cannot take them away. Compared with the riches of love, the wealth of the world is but dross. I will seek but Christ Jesus to win, and for him I count all things but loss. Come, take of the riches of Christ. Exhaustless and free is the store. Exhaustless and free is the store. Of its wonderful fullness receive till you hunger and thirst nevermore. Oh, the depth of the riches of love, the riches of love in Christ Jesus. Far better than gold or wealth untold are the riches of love in Christ Jesus. No wonder we're rich. Jesus paid it all. Thank God for Jesus. The Macedonians, way back then, 2,000 years ago, the Macedonians are an example for us yet today. And there's other examples that we could give, like the poor widow, right? Who gave, Jesus said, more than they all. And other examples that we could give, modern day examples, but especially and mostly, Jesus. Jesus is our example of giving. If Jesus is our Lord, since Jesus is our Lord, and if, since we, and if we really know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it right to say that we will be grateful people 365 days out of the year? If we really know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, like 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we really know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I submit that you and I will be grateful people 365 days out of the year. And if we're really perpetually grateful. If we're really constantly thankful, we will, like Jesus, be perpetually generous. I would just like to read 2 Corinthians 8-9 once more. I will read it in the NRK version. It'll be just a little bit different if you'll give me that liberty. And then, if you'll stand with me for prayer. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the loveliness and beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. He became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Thank God for Jesus. Will you stand for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, as we stand here before you, uh, we acknowledge that we are rich.